I'm Libby Rothschild, former clinical dietitian who transformed into a full-time virtual business owner. It was only one year ago when I made $55,000 a year in my clinical job. And now I make $100,000 a month being my own boss. And you can do this too. My clients, who are all female dietitians and students, started from zero and created six-figure, multi-six-figure businesses by following my proven method. And they've all been guests on air. My proven method shows you how to attract cash paying clients using social media marketing strategies that work. You don't have to guess, waste time, or hold yourself back when you follow my step-by-step method. I'm very excited to be here today with Fatima and Sarika on today's panel about weight loss and inclusive practice. Fatima Fakori is a registered dietitian providing virtual nutrition coaching services to people living with paralysis and spinal cord injury. She was inspired by her husband who was injured in a car accident many years ago to focus on providing nutrition services specifically to people living with paralysis who are often left out of popular cultural wellness, popular wellness culture. Fatima empowers people living with paralysis to manage their weight and improve their bowels, improve their bowel health by providing support to make healthier choices without restrictive dieting. By combining her professional expertise as a dietitian with her personal experience of being married to someone living with spinal cord injury, her coaching program has allowed people with paralysis to regain control of their weight and bowel issues so they can feel more confident and live longer, happier lives. You can find her on paralysisnutrition.com and social media at paralysis.nutrition. Sarika Shah is a registered dietitian who inspires healthy habits and weight loss among Indian Americans. Sarika has almost 20 years of experience in counseling and over hundreds of clients. Sarika is born and raised in America, but her parents are immigrants and found it super important to instill strong Indian cultural traditional family values. As a mother, Sarika can appreciate what was taught and value it to pass it down to her two children. Sarika says, you don't have to give up your favorite Indian foods to lose weight and live your best life. You can find her at thenourishedrd.com and at indian.nutritionist on Instagram. Welcome to today's episode, ladies. Thank you you for having us. I'm so excited for this important conversation. So thank you both for, for sharing your time. And I know I've had you both on air before, which is really fun. So for the listeners, um, you can always go back and listen to either both of their episodes um, in the future. Okay, then we're just going to go ahead and dive in. And I want to ask both of you if you could speak to your philosophy and how you support weight loss and your philosophy in your business. Go ahead. All right, well, I'll go first, Sarika. So yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's been an interesting journey because in my private practice and in my own life, I'm not a weight loss RD, but I wanted to work with people with paralysis because, you know, I'm, like you said, I'm inspired by my husband to just work with this population of people that I feel are really left out of a lot of wellness culture things, you know? So when I started my account, I wasn't talking about weight loss, but everybody wanted to lose weight. So I had to switch from just talking about, you know, things that I want to talk about, like you know, I would just talk about healthy eating as if everyone would want to automatically eat healthy just because, (laughs) and that's not the truth. So my clients really suffer if they gain a lot of weight. So for me, it became kind of like, all right, if you want to help them, what do they need help with? They need help with weight loss. So my philosophy is not a restrictive one. We talk about, you know, managing portions and 
including what I call like the fun foods still, because the last thing I want to do is make anybody more stressed about their diet. But when you gain a lot of weight and you're in a wheelchair, that's very stressful and you can lose your independence. Things that my husband does on his own, he does almost 99.9% things on his own, he could not do if he was really overweight. So when I work with people who are like, oh, you know, I used to be able to XYZ and now I can't, that makes me sad. So my philosophy is not to make them feel bad about it, but to not be like, you know, it's impossible or, 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 oh, you're going to have to cut this or that. It's just like, let's look at what you eat. Let's see where we can make improvements and then let's see what works for you. And I'll tell you, to be honest, in the beginning, I had like major imposter syndrome because I was like, can people with paralysis lose weight? I don't know. Can they? And now I hear my clients saying, you know, I used to be a 46 inch waist and now I'm a 39 or I'm a, was a 44 and now I'm a 42. And so it's like, okay, it's working because I kind of guide them towards choosing foods that they like that are healthy without doing any of like the restrictive can't have this, can't have that, you know, like Sarika too, who says you can still enjoy cultural foods. I say like, you can still enjoy all of your foods. You just have to watch your, your portions. And I think that when you educate people, they are much more likely to listen to you. So that's my approach is like an educational approach and, and yes, all foods fit, but let's watch our portions. Yeah, I love that. And if we could just go a little deeper before we move on to Sarika, um, when you said you had major imposter syndrome, can you talk about how overcoming that and listening to what they want and need and giving them that has helped them result in the 46 to 37 inch waist change, which has improved their quality of life? Oh, for sure. And and I get messages from my clients saying like, hey, like yesterday, my client DM'd me to say, you know, I just thought you would want to know that I'm wearing these shorts that I haven't worn in years because he has lost inches from his waist and he's a guy with spina bifida. So he's been in his wheelchair since he's five years old and now he's 42. So it's like, that makes me feel so good. And so anytime I get a positive, all it takes is like a couple of clients to have success. And then you can feel like, oh, wow, I actually can help people. Because in the beginning, I'll tell you, I wasn't focused on the pain points, like you said. I didn't know what the pain points were. I thought, I only know my husband, so it's like I want him to live a long, healthy life. I want him to continue to remain independent. We have little kids. I want him to be a good role model. I thought about my stuff, but the truth is 65% of people with a spinal cord injury are obese. So it's like, how, who are you helping? What are you doing? And so when I started my Instagram, it's funny. I sometimes think I should go back and delete, <laughs> but I'm not going to because it's, it's my journey. But going from posting things like why magnesium is important, which is what I am interested in, to, hey, this almond milk has protein and this one doesn't, you should pick this one. That is what helps people. And talking about issues like constipation that they don't want to talk about really with anyone else. They want to talk about with me because I make it kind of accessible and funny. And so for me, I had imposter syndrome because I never worked with anyone before who had paralysis. And now all of a sudden I'm positioning myself like I know something. And the truth is after I got a couple of clients, I realized that I need to do weight loss because that's what my people want help with. And so that was a big change for me. And so when you don't have any client successes, you don't know if you're being effective. And then all it took 
was like one or two people to start seeing changes. And then I was like, oh, okay. So it doesn't work for every single person for every single problem. But I know that if you follow my advice, you can lose weight. So that's been, I think, client successes have been the cure for imposter syndrome. And just also just like keeping it moving, you know, and and not being like, oh, I failed because it's been a month <laughs> and nobody lost weight, you know? So it's it's like giving it time too. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that story. And I love that line you said that they, you know, having a couple client successes and a couple clients cures imposter syndrome. And I know for some of the listeners, it's difficult to get over that hump, but when you do and, and, and you listen to your clients and you give them what they need, it's just incredible. And it's funny because like, they're so shocked that they lose weight. And I'm like, no one's more shocked than me. (laughs) Like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Beautiful payoff there. So thank you for sharing that, Fatima. And then Sarika, what about you as far as speaking to your philosophy and how you support weight loss uh, with your philosophy? Yeah. So you had to help me figure out who I was speaking to. I was a lot like Fatima. I was really general nutrition, but I had years of experience and kind of had to niche it down onto what was best for me and who I was related most to were Indians. Something that's like stuck. And actually just yesterday, a client told me she has Kaiser insurance. And so there's no form of me providing her a super bill and getting reimbursement. She was like, it doesn't matter at this point. I've seen dietitians in the system, but none of them are Indian and they don't understand me. They don't understand my food. And we both walk out frustrated. And so I feel that here I am to help them, the Indian population, um, know that there is a dietitian just like them that knows what they need. And yeah, I wasn't born in India, so I'm not a new immigrant, but my parents are immigrants and they instilled hard values of us as far as being cultural Indian, being raised. I think that to an extent, even greater than sometimes Indians in India have where they want to come to the U S and they want to be more Americanized. Um, So I'm finding with my clients, the focus only isn't weight loss. And that's evolved from the imposter syndrome initially, which I had over a year ago, was it was only the weight loss I was going to treat, only the diabetes, the hypertension, and the weight loss and get the reduced waste to decrease their risk. Because, I mean, we all know the three of us are dietitians for every two pounds weight loss on somebody overweight or obese, they decrease their chances for diabetes by almost 16% or hypertension by 8% and and metabolic syndrome. So all of those was what I was fueled by. But then as you continue to work through the three-month program with me, you realize that we A, start dealing with the emotions first and we start correcting food labeling. There is no good food. There's no bad food. Are there choices that can be made better? Absolutely. Um, But does that mean you can't have your piece of chocolate every night? No, you absolutely can. So I've modified my program where we work from the emotional standpoint initially, and then we work through their goals on how to achieve them. And small changes make lasting changes and bigger changes. And my clients are starting to recognize that. It's beautiful. And you shared here that you've evolved your program based on what they've said. So would you say that evolving it to maybe be front loaded with the emotions first and to help them work through the sustainable weight loss, has that been something that you've adjusted based on the demand and, and, and the feedback from your clients? Absolutely. So of course, each one is individualized. So some that don't have the deeper emotional labeling with foods, I might find that my male clients don't necessarily have that as strong versus my female clients. 
and I hate to generalize and genderize that, but that's just kind of what I'm seeing or the stigma of, you know, when we get married, we get these sorry blouses made and here 25 years later, they can't put them back on. Well, you don't have to, you don't need to fit into that blouse again. So it's just working through that. So I individualize. It depends off of basically our first call, you know, we dive deep. And then I always think that the first one to two weeks is like a honeymoon period where they think they're perfect and, you know, and they photo journal with me and everything is like perfect. And then I'm wondering, hmm, well, why are they not losing weight or why are they obese or why do they have diabetes? Why is their A1C elevated? And then when we get to that three week mark, the barriers start to drop. And then by week six and seven, are we able to pick up the goals, whether it's reducing their A1C, reducing their waistline or losing weight? It's amazing. And thank you for sharing that. So as far as both of your points of view, and I think Sarika just talked about that a little bit, but if you could both go deeper about how you did develop your point of view or at least how it's evolved and changed over time. I can start with that one just because I kind of sort of did start to talk about that. Um, so my point of view was developed from um, my in-law side, actually. They're my father-in-law's family. Um, they come from a strong traditional family, but many are obese. Many have diabetes. Um, and so my husband is at high risk for that. Look, it's genetics. They play a role in it. And as we started to age, you start to think, oh, well, what? I am getting older. I am in that bracket. We're at risk. We've got kids. I don't want to instill that. So I came from that perspective. And then using the straight nutrition facts that we learn in school, that you continue to learn with your continuing education units. And so I was very fact-based and then I evolved, but I've had 20 years of experience. And so I kind of did know that there was emotion tied to it, but I thought, oh no, I'm doing a weight loss program. That's what I'm going to stick to. Week one, we do this. Week two, we do this. And I realized that I should use and have the confidence in my own self with my experience and what I know works and doesn't work versus textbook. I still use textbook. I still use them as my resource. It is science, but it is also a balance of being a human and really knowing what's going on with them. And so as we mentioned before, I've evolved with using being the emotional part, the food ties, changing mind frame, the mindset looking at things more positive, not what is lost, but what you can have more of, what the gain is, and keeping the goals short and achievable. If I set out to have them to have a 15-pound weight loss in two weeks, that's not attainable, and that's not sustainable. My goal is to have them form habits that are lifelong, so when they leave me in three months, they leave with these habits and that their life is led healthier. That's beautiful. How's that? Did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. And so, Fatima, what do you have to add to that about your point of view and the evolution of your point of view over time? So it's funny because it's actually almost the opposite of what Sarika says. So first, we got in it very like, I'm doing a weight loss program. This is how it's going to be done. And she comes from a more clinical, I think, you know, 20 years experience. I'm a much, I'm a second career RD. I've only been an RD for like five and a half years. So, you know, my way of starting was like, a little too loosey-goosey because my experience was really only with one person, my husband who has paralysis. And so it's different when it's your husband, you know, he's not your client. And so he's not, and I I make fun of him. I say, you know, you should be my client because they're all losing weight and you know, it's just like, 
so when I started doing groups, yes, it was much more, it's much more structured now, but in the beginning, I actually feel bad sometimes, but you know, you live and learn and you get better. But my first few clients, like, I don't really think I did as good of a job. And I feel badly about that, but, but I'm trying to just move past it because I wasn't as structured. And the thing is, my niche is confused. My niche is medically compromised and they are, the stakes are higher. It's not just, oh, you know, I have a belly. It's like, I would like to live independently and not, you know, have a caretaker, that type of thing. So the stakes are much higher. And so but I come at it from a very different privileged view because my husband is independent. So I don't think of it as like, oh, weight loss is so important. But guess what it is? So people who find me are like, oh my God, there's a dietitian for, you know, and by the way, they don't care you're a dietitian. They just see nutrition and, and they, they don't care. I'm like, I have a master's. And they're like, are you a nutritionist? Are you a coach? And I'm just like, yes, I'll be whatever you want me to be. It's fine. But it's, it's hilarious because I did this thing. I told you I did this thing with Mount Sinai, which is a rehab center for people with paralysis, which actually my husband went to after his car accident. And so I reached out to them via social media and I did this like free Zoom for them. And I got a few clients from it. And the one lady yesterday, the wife actually of the guy who has the spinal cord injury, she like was emotional that on our discovery call because she said, you know, I just feel lost. My husband just, I feel bad. So I give him treats. And the whole thing was just so loaded and so emotional. And I said, he's my client, right? So I have to kind of step in and say, well, we don't want to say things like I let him have, or I give him. And the guy's eyes lit up. And he hired me (laughs) because I saw him, you know, as a human being, not as this person to be cared for, because that's my perspective. My husband is not in any sort of way, somebody that I care for other than like, you know, typical wife stuff. So when I see people and they're like relieved to find me, she was like, I just am so happy to find you. And so that makes me take it much more serious in terms of like, listen, their stakes are different than yours. They need to lose weight and they need you to tell them really, you can't be wishy-washy. You can't do intuitive eating. You can't do this stuff. And that's been difficult for me because I don't like to be the food police. But you know, I had a guy who literally was drinking a soda (laughs) during our first conversation. And I was like, so elephant in the room. I mean, do you drink that every day? He was like, yeah it was a humongous bottle of soda. And I I said, you know, maybe not the best choice for breakfast. And people just need to be told you shouldn't do that. And I think the educational piece is huge for my niche. And I think also just, you know, I don't want to scare anyone and to say, hey, this is what's going to happen to you if you gain weight. But they want the facts. Like sometimes I worry about being negative and saying like, hey, you know, throwing some facts at them. Like, People with a spinal cord injury have two and a half times higher risk of having diabetes. So I don't like talking like that. But when I say things like that, people listen. And like when I said that last time to somebody, this woman was like, oh my God, how come they don't tell us that? Maybe I would take it more seriously. You know, maybe I would be more, I don't want to say disciplined, but I would be a healthier eater if I knew all this stuff. So my philosophy went from being like, it's okay, you know, eat everything that you like, just in moderation. And it's like, they don't want to hear that. 
They want to hear, this is how many carbs. They want to hear, kind of eat more of this and eat less of that. And so that's not my personal philosophy, but that is my philosophy in working with this group because that is what they are going to benefit from. And has that evolved over time as far as, as a practitioner, you used to not give them as much of what they want? And is that what, what the connection oh, here? For, well, I noticed very quickly that I was being too vague in the beginning. And that's what I feel bad about is because I did have in the beginning when I did like three session bundles and stuff, which I don't do, but you know, and there's a reason why those aren't that good, (laughs) right? In the long term, those don't really work very well. But in the beginning, yes, I had a couple of clients where, you know, some of them, it's not that they're dissatisfied. It's that I feel like I would, if I had them today, I would do so much better and give more of like the intervention as opposed to just kind of being like, well, yeah, that's okay sometimes. Oh yeah, that's okay sometimes. And then it's like, everything is okay sometimes. (laughs) So I had to be more like Sarika said, like, this is a weight loss program. This is what we're doing. Now my program isn't just weight loss, but it is a big part of it. So I think just being more confident in saying like, I am the dietitian and this is what you should eat. (laughs) And and I appreciate the the reflection of the evolution over time, especially the whole piece about um, becoming an expert. Because you saying that you feel bad that you didn't perhaps deliver a service as you know, excellent as it is today, we all have that. And I'm sure that the client at the point and for the price point you were offering got satisfied and got what they needed, but we can only become better and become an expert by working through those moments of uncomfortability. I just think a lot of the listeners are too scared to do that. Yeah. But I that you share that because we all have uncomfortable posts we want to delete. We all have experiences or sell a bundle or something. We look back and say, huh, if I were to only sell that now, but that's part of you know, becoming a better version and evolving over time. Yeah. And, and everybody that I did a three session bundle with, I wished I could run them through my group because now it's so good. But before it was just kind of like, well, what do you want help with? And they were like, I don't know. You tell me what I need to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, I would definitely say part of just becoming an expert. Do you have any thoughts on that, Sarika? No, I agree. I love your evolution. We definitely have like opposite styles, <laughs> but it's because we are actually catering to the needs of our specific clients, which I think that's part of what Libby's saying as being an expert. And I do think that we have something in common is that we use those numbers and we use to educate. And that is huge. And I think that that differentiates us from a nutritionist and a coach, even though our clients don't care, they don't care about that title. But I think that that's where our science baseline comes in and us being a dietitian and our education makes it valuable for our clients. Absolutely. And, and Sarika on that note for, and cause I think Fatima really hit the nail on the head with the whole experts piece. Do you have anything to add to that? As far as the listeners, whether they have 20 years experience plus like you, or they're starting out and they're just so afraid to get started, which will help them become an expert. What do you say to that? Um, Oh my gosh, don't be afraid. Specifically in the weight loss realm. So don't be afraid. You went to school, you know how to calculate. You can do that and you can start that way. It's okay. And practice makes you even better and even better and greater and solidifies your style of nutrition and your approach. So if you don't dive in, you're not going to know. So it's never too early and it's never too late. I okay. truly believe that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that and, and lending that to the inspiration to the audience. So a couple more questions for you ladies. When it comes to inclusion, can you define what an inclusive approach means for your business? 
And how do you practice that with your clients? How do you practice inclusivity with your clientele? I think given my niche, it's like a big reason why I did it was because I felt like people with paralysis are left out of everything. And and like I said, my husband uses a wheelchair and every time we want to do anything, I have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to figure out how it's going to work. And so I realized, you know, all right, so I am in a couple of like support groups and stuff for people with paralysis. And I noticed that they're asking a lot of questions about nutrition. So that's how I found that that, that, that whole idea in the first place. And then when it came to actually, when I started working with you, I actually changed my handle immediately to become more inclusive because I started off with spinal cord injury nutrition and I changed it to paralysis because many of the people that were reaching out to me did not have a spinal cord injury. They had paralysis from a different cause. Maybe they have spina bifida, maybe they have spinal stenosis, a spinal stroke, transverse myelitis. There are all these even smaller niches within paralysis. And I felt like, oh my God, I'm leaving people out. So I had to change it to what unifies everybody that I work with, which is paralysis. And then just even within that, I feel like, so in the beginning, I thought, I, now I did the market research, like you told us, and 70% of people who have a spinal cord injury are men. So I was thinking mostly men. So I would use like male characters in my social media. And then guess what? I realized 50% of my clients are women. Maybe the first few were men, but now it's really 50-50. So I started in my posts like, I have a few posts that I redo that are like general and I just swap the person out. So like I have, now I have people of color and now I have men and I have women. And sometimes I'll show them Canva is getting very good now with the inclusive images. I must say there's all these wheelchair images, but before there weren't. So I would like crop them in a certain way or whatever. I would make it work. I just would never want anyone, especially in my niche to feel like, oh, it's not for me. And can we just also um, mention, I just want to be really clear. It wasn't spinal cord that was your handle. It was No, it was SCI. It was SCI. Yeah, but no, nobody knows what SCI means, do they? Okay, so in my niche, everyone knows what SCI is. And so it's like SCI fit and SCI rehab and all these things. So I speak their language, but... It is 50 million times clearer to say paralysis nutrition because, like you said, it's not as well known. And you have to be a person who's already in that world to know what that means. But my biggest thing to to change it was not just to be more clear, but to be more inclusive. Because my first, out of four of my first clients, only two of them had a traumatic spinal cord injury. The other two had, I think one had spinal stenosis and one had spina bifida. So it was like, oh, you guys are still not being included when I say spinal cord injury. So I changed it. Yeah. And, and I love that because it sounds like you got more clear with the stage that your client was experiencing, which again, SCI yeah. is, is maybe like more narrow and yeah. so it's kind of broadening where, where their where stage of progression is with um, yeah. injury. And it is like 80% of people that I work with have a spinal cord injury, but there are those people that don't, and they really feel like they don't fit. I mean, I actually have one client that woke up paralyzed and does not have like they think he had a spinal stroke or they think he had you know and it's just like okay well you you fit in here <laughs>
Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. And Sarika, how would you define inclusivity and, and what that means to your business and, and how you practice with your clients? Right. So mine is slightly different. It is actually in reverse in some sense. Um, dietitians in a practice overall, the three of us know, is predominantly Caucasian. Um, Asians only make up about 36 or 3.9%, and Asian being very broad term. So that includes many Asian countries and Southeast Asian countries. So mine is specific to Indians, but I do see clients that are Middle Eastern as well because foods are similarly, cultures are very similar, um, and it's not religious-based, so it could be of any religion. And so I bring the diversity to the dietetics. I am the dietitian that they don't get to see in through their health insurance. I'm the dietitian that they can't log with on my fitness pal or lose it. Their foods aren't there. So to lose weight, if they're trying to do it on their own, they can't necessarily calorie count on those applications because our foods aren't there. So it's a pure guesstimate, like a roti or chapati ends up becoming a tortilla. It's a very hard thing to navigate for them because I'm not going to take those foods away. That's who we are. That's part of the person. The food that you eat is part of who you are. It's part of the culture. So I represent, I guess, in the form of minority of dietitians to help the U.S. population and Indians being the largest, second largest immigrants coming to the U.S. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And who's the first largest population of immigrants? And they say Mexico. Yeah. All right. Lastly, how can you use an inclusive approach in your marketing and social media? This is a question I was just dying to know your answers for. And, and Fatima's already lended to it as far as adding in you know, people of color and Canva and things of that nature, but any other kind of specific examples or, or things you want to add to beyond just the visuals and really just continuing to represent your brand, right? Yeah. So if you don't mind, I can jump in, Fatima. Is that okay? Right, of course. In the Indian culture, fairness is beauty. So with that, there's been a big movement from the Southeast Asians supporting Black Lives Matter. There is a huge movement. Um, Fair and Lovely is a highly marketed face cream in India and in Asia. I'm familiar with that one. (laughs) Yeah. So you're of higher appreciation or beauty if you're fair. So there's been great amount of pressure. I put it in my stories. I talk about it. Johnson and Johnson is eliminating fair and lovely is rebranding. So that's not quite getting rid of it. Sweaty Betty, the company for workout clothes, you know, they'll say namaste for like a bra and which could be very not well taken because it's of a more of a peaceful thing. Name your bra namaste is not necessarily kind, or that could be your sweatshirt. I mean, I don't hold me to it exactly, but Sweaty Betty just came out renaming anything associated with that kind of practice in, I want to say some hotel in Las Vegas had religious deities from Jainism, their godlike statues, those were removed. So there are big movements happening towards inclusivity as far as Asians as well um, with this practice. And so I try to bring light as to bring diversity or in being more inclusive in our color range as well and not to be judged by that because there's even it's even deeper rooted with caste systems and it goes so deep and it's huge there's a lot of changes that have to happen 
And to be honest, the conversation starts right now here in my house with my kids, um, raising them to be better. And how does that translate into social media from, you know, what's going on in society, your kids at home? And then like you said, you talk about it in your stories, translates to your posts and your captions. Is that what you would say? Yeah. um, I definitely much more in my stories. I talk about it because I think that that is a little bit more easier to communicate. I do have some posts coming up, myth busting. Um, you know, Libby knows this one, but you know, there's a myth that if you eat certain foods while you're pregnant, your child may be fairer or darker. So in our science tells you that's not true. So I'm going to do a little bit of myth busting on that because skin color doesn't make us who we are. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing. That's very good. I'm like laughing because I had Danny. And so I relate a lot to what Sarika says. It's a bit different. It's a different religion. It's, you know, it is a different country, but like a lot of the foods are similar and stuff. And a lot of what she said is it sounds so ridiculous because like Sarika saying it to Libby is like, you're like outing our stuff. Like, oh my God, like why don't tell her about the creams? <laughs> you know, like it's so shameful, but it's ridiculous. And, and my mom is, is very, you know, modern, but she's, she's an immigrant as well. My, both my parents are, but it's like, we were never taught that stuff, but like our, the other people in the community, you know, of course would make these ridiculous statements about like who's lighter and who's this and who's that. And it's like, it is important. And I'm glad Sirica saying that, you know, to, to your audience, because it's like, maybe they don't know that, that it's not just, you might've heard like, in, in black culture to be lighter skinned, you know, you'll see a lot of celebrities, they're lighter skinned, but they're black, but they're lighter skinned. But we do the same stuff too. You know, Asians do the same stuff too. And it's not just black Americans that, that have that ideal or that white America has that ideal of lighter skinned black people. It's of everybody. Look at the, the Indian, um, you know, the supermodels and stuff, they're all lighter skinned, you know, and, and, and it's just so, it's so, you outed us, Sarika, come on. <laughs> totally did. I outed our culture, the, the, our Bollywood, the, famous. Each cream is so, so bad. Like, I can't believe that that's legal, you know, yeah. that you can buy a cream and people put this on their kids and they, they put it on themselves and it's just, that's just so sad, but it is very important to say. In terms of my social media, like I said, I'm, I'm including more, diverse images. I do props to Canva. They have a lot more diverse images. And I think that just sort of speaking about, you know, with the Black Lives Matter uh, stuff that's been in social media a lot, it is, there are some people in the disabled community that are saying like, well, what about us? And it's a little difficult because you have to sort of be like, it's not about you right now. There is intersectionality and we need to talk about it. However, this is not about the disabled population. You need to kind of still recognize that if you are white and disabled, you have a privilege that people who are non-white and disabled don't have. So it's been a very interesting, eye-opening thing for me. All of this intersectionality, I don't shy away from talking about these things on social media. And my thing is like, yes, okay, sometimes you have to be mindful of other people's opinions and stuff but I do draw a hard line of like if you don't agree with a couple of things that I say I don't need to work with you and I'm in a place where I can do that like I'm not posting all kinds of crazy inappropriate things but I am posting some kind of difficult stuff that maybe maybe a business coach would tell me is is pushing it but I'm I'm here to push it and I, I it doesn't phase me 
So two follow-up questions. Can you give an example of what you're doing to push it visually? And secondly, are you talking about that intersectionality between, as you had said, the Caucasian disabled versus the non-Caucasian dis- Caucasian disabled? Is that something you're discussing on marketing perspective or just behind kind of like with clients? So it's interesting because I I am not the person with the the paralysis. So I kind of pass the mic to other people and I repost their stuff. Like there are some really amazing accounts out there that are personal accounts of people who are in wheelchairs who I feel like their voice is probably one that needs to be amplified. So like there's, you know, people of color and, and, and people who are talking about this stuff that I feel are doing a better job than I could ever do. So I'll repost them quite often, I am sort of listening more to that stuff and, and, and being a lot of people who follow me don't follow that stuff. So it's like interesting, you know, if you have a health concern and you're following me, but then you notice that I'm posting stuff in stories about Black Lives Matter and, and maybe some political things that have to do with disability or economic or, you know, educational, that's what I'm about. So, so I am going to post that. And then what was the other question you said? Um, the other question was, you said that there are some posts that might not be approved or that can be controversial. Is that what you're saying in the stories or is that, and can you like give an example of what that is? So, you know, I I think a lot of what's been going on with COVID and the medical, you know, like the lack of resources and things like that and people with disabilities being sort of, I don't want to say ignored because it's not that it's ignored, but they are suffering at higher rates, you know, and I think people don't really want to hear that or it's just very I don't want to say depressing, but it is eye-opening and it is true. So I do, I don't hesitate to post stuff like that. And, and I am not, you know, I try not to get too political, but at the same time, I feel like it's my place and it's my right to say certain things and stories only last for 24 hours. So it'll be gone eventually. So I am more careful about what I put in my feed. I do try to stick to only nutrition and only my topics, but in stories, I do take the opportunity to talk about, you know, events. And like, for example, right now, health privilege is something that people in my community are talking about. So if you have the privilege to take maybe some risks when it comes to COVID, people in my niche don't because they're considered high risk. Um, My husband, for example, was on a ventilator after he had his his car accident. And so nobody has told us, hey, you're high risk, but one can only guess <laughs> that, that he is. And, and when you have paralysis and you can't, you know, your lung function is a little bit less, this makes us a little more nervous and stuff. So, so when people are like, I'm always posting about masks, <laughs> I'm always posting about social distancing. And I know people don't <laughs> make sick of it, but it's like, this is our community and, and we are higher risk. And so we need to push for this. Do you have a post on that? What? This is our community. We are at higher risk. You need to wear a mask. I should. Good one. I should. <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> Anything, thank you for, for sharing that. And thank you both. This has been such, such an incredible storytelling ability, opportunity to talk about inclusion and weight loss and your perspectives and philosophies. Is there anything else that you want to wrap up with on this episode and, and leave the listeners with? Wear a mask. <laughs> yeah, Fatima's loud and clear. And, and what I love about that, Fatima, is that I know you say that all the time, right? <laughs> I do. I see that in your stories. And, I, and I, I, everything you both are saying, I, I get it, right? Because I'm, um, you know, obviously follow and very interested in both of you and, and your progression. 
But I think making that that statement specific to your market about why I didn't understand it until you explained it now. Mm. Wearing a mask, of course, is something everybody's talking about right now in the news. But making that specific to the person who's at a higher risk because of their paralysis, I think that makes what you're saying even more special. Well, I think, you know, and I, I appreciate that because it actually gives context. And sometimes I assume it's like, duh, of course you're high risk. And then people don't really get it. And, you know, I was thinking too, Sarika, with mm-hmm. our culture, it's like very common, you know, to have multi-generational family yeah. models and stuff like that. And so when it, you know, if you ever did anything on a mask, be like, don't I was just actually home. thinking about that. When you don't said, bring it home to, to your nani, you know, no, <laughs> when you just said that we're at high risk, I was like, oh my God, my clients are all at high risk. They have diabetes, they have hypertension, they're overweight. They fit in that range of somewhere higher, or they've got grandparents living with yes, them or parents. Them. Mm-hmm. So, and then their kids are going to bring home every germ. Yeah. And then, I'm going to copy you. Wear a mask. Yeah. <laughs> We're at risk. Yeah. And then, and then for me, I think for, for dietitians, you know, helping consumers in our, all of our different specialties, it's important for us to reflect on this interview and think, how can I reflect on who I'm helping and be sensitive to that message being like what Fatima said, having context to the message and joining these conversations and really reflecting on how we can be more sensitive and authentic and, and more clear with our markets. So if you could just remind um, both of you where everybody can find you on social media and just tell you how much they enjoyed hearing this interview and, and, and hearing your, you share your stories. Sarika Shah, come find me at Indian.nutritionist on Instagram. And Fatima Fakuri. So I'm at paralysis.nutrition. Thank you so much both. Thank you, Libby. If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at libbyrothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.